In other words, Senator, Airwolf is a Mach 1 plus chopper that can kick butt. My performance anxiety. Gregor. Oh, we good. And Greg. Welcome to Maximum Collective, episode 15. We're all bozos on this bus. Special guest tonight is Ah Clem, better known as Richard Keppel, or maybe better known as Ah Clem. Gregor, Absoluter McGrath, Greg, Big Raw Ringley, hey, and hi. Steve Gimpy O'Connor. Sorry, I'm talking too fast. Are you still Gimpy? Uh, it's getting better. You aren't hopping around yet, running marathons? I, I literally have to think about walking in a straight line. For those of you that don't know Richard Keppel, who goes by Aklem and most of the forums and everything else, he is probably one of the reasons that I actually got into helicopters and thought they were so cool. Because I used to watch this little show called Airwolf, and he one was of one of my favorites. One of the RC pilots that flew the RC version of the Airwolf. So we were super excited. A uh, longtime hero of mine, Mister Aklem or Richard Keppel. I, I don't even know how to call you, Richard. To be honest with you, I've always been like Aklem. Uh, right. At least <laughs> you say it right, so that's good. Well, tell us about it. For those of us who don't know, uh, you got me to watch the, uh, what what band was that? Uh, the it Foreign was, Theater. It was, it was or Fire, Fire Sign Theater. Yeah. Sorry. A, uh, a good friend of mine, Mark House, that I've known for, God, since 1975 or something. He got me interested in Fire Sign Theater, which was a, an American comedy group that I think they kind of wanted to be Monty Python, um, but very, very different bizarre sense of humor and there is one album called i think we're all bozos on this bus and there's a character in it named clem who keeps having to repeat his name and he always goes uh clem so that's where that came from i um was doing a lot of work for the phone company supporting the federal government and i didn't want my real name out there associated with anything else so i went with a clem I've used that for probably a dozen years now. Very cool. (laughs) It's actually worth checking out. It's funny. I I didn't make it all the way through. I'm about 20 minutes into the 38-minute skit, but it is pretty funny. So I'm still stuck on the... So Steve starts off and talks about you were the RC pilot that flew Airwolf, and it goes into talking about music. I, I like to go back to that whole thing with Airwolf. You actually flew an RC model to help them film that show? Yeah, and I need to to, to go back a little bit if we're going to go into that first. Uh, first of all, I was one of three people that flew for. It was me, Larry Jolly, and Rob Hamilton. Um, it, and I don't, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into because I, I don't want you to doze off. But um, This is good the, stuff. Okay, in the, in the early 80s, 
I had uh, been working at uh, Oli's Home Center, and then to supplement my income, I went back to work at Hobby Shack in Fountain Valley. And at this time, I'd been flying helicopters for six, seven years, something like that. And I'm in there, and I'm the only helicopter guy. And I was also, at that time, the oldest guy, which I always seem to be the oldest guy, no matter where I am. So um, somebody's coming in. We had Herobo Falcon 505s and 707s. And uh, I talked to customers about them. Well, the other guys were much younger. They were mostly car guys. Um, and they listened to me talking to the customers. And they said, you don't know anything about this, do you? You don't know anything about helicopters. And I had been I don't know, flying with my buddies at night. I had a weird schedule. I'd work all day. Then I'd go to Hobby Shack and work. And then sometimes we'd go out to dinner and we'd fly helicopters and run RC cars in the parking lot till midnight. And this one buddy of mine, Roy Levy, uh, who also became involved with Airwolf later on, he'd take his RC car out and drive it. And I had a GMP cricket and I would chase the car with the cricket on the deck, uh, hop over him, spin around, come back and chase him and run the skids on the ground, that kind of thing. So I told the kid who made this comment to me at Hobby Shack, Sunday afternoon, we both work, right? Bring your car. So he brought his RC car. And I did what I had done with Roy and chased it on the deck in the parking lot with the cricket. They shut up after that. Um, oddly enough, <laughs> Pete Slable, Slagle, excuse me, from Sesams and Slagle, who did all the special effects for The Fall Guy and Dukes of Hazard and Night oh, wow. Rider, uh, and later on Airwolf, he called Hobby Shack Fountain Valley the next day asking, do you know anybody that can fly an RC helicopter? And so they gave him my name and he called me that Monday night and I went out to the Sesame's Ranch in uh, Redlands, California, where all the miniature filming was done. And I flew a helicopter for them as a demo. And I can never remember if I flew a Herobo Falcon 808 or my Cavan Jet Ranger. I can't remember which one. I suspect it was the Cavan, but uh, flew it for them and they hired me to do the um, Knight Rider Merchants of Death episode, which wow. was the one with the black helicopter, okay? Oh. Which was my Cavan Jet Ranger. And uh, uh, Roy Levy took it, it had a nice paint job, uh, it was three different colors, uh, red and white and gray. And uh, Roy was very good at painting. He scuffed it, primed it, painted it flat black to match the the other one, uh, the one that, the, the real one the show and um took it out to redlands uh jack and his modeling crew added uh fake rockets a searchlight i think on the front and a couple other things to it and uh we flew it for the show and if you watch the um if you watch the opening, I think it's from the second or third year on you'll see the car jumping over the helicopter that's my helicopter. Wow. So, and wow, I've still got so that cool. helicopter. So, that's incredible. So, uh, when they, okay, so they bring you on stage, you're on this place you're filming. They have like yeah. little 
um, all right, I need you to fly like this and do this and do I mean, yeah. they have some sort of a plan where they want you to present the helicopter a certain way and you fly that pattern, right? Yeah, and they were very specific. They had storyboards. This is the first time I ever saw a storyboard. They had storyboards set up with drawings of, you know, what the shot was supposed to look like and stuff. And uh, it was usually a very tight area that you had to fly it with him for the camera. And if you look at just the the thumbnail for the Sesame and Slagle video that Thomas Higginson did, you'll see the Jet Ranger. You'll see the guys there in the foreground. Uh, that one right there. And you see Kit, the car, at the bottom of the shot. And they built a berm. Yeah, that's it. They built, and that skinny guy on the left behind the cameraman's fingers is me. I used to look like that. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. is so cool. What that I was that skinny? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the car. <laughs> well, the hair is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it, it was dark and it was all one color. So right. it's different it, now. Um, the car was a modified model kit. I can't remember who made it, but it was probably 14, 18 inches long. And it was actually Camaro, and they modified it to look like a Firebird and then modified it further to make it look like Kit. It was not powered. So where you see that car, Jack was down behind that burn on his knees, shoving it in front of wow. the helicopter. So I'm sitting wow. here scared to death because I got the camera guy on one side. I got Jack on the other side. I didn't want to hit anybody, right? So it was, it was, uh, it was fairly exacting work. And then they had to go through and like, do all their photo magic and movie magic on the film, obviously, right? Uh, well, I think it's all yeah. angles at that time. I mean, you're talking the 80s. How much how much effects did they do to any of that? I mean, there, you got there the was, shot. Yeah, you had to do it manually. Uh, the thing that they did was they had, um, I think they were called Aries, the cameras, and they overcranked them. So they ran them real fast. And then when they played it back, they played it back slow. So it looked more realistic and it took out some of the, the, and some of the wiggliness of an RC helicopter, if you will. Well, like how I they, found... how, how they had the fly bar. Pardon me? How, the, how did they hide the fly bar? They didn't. Well, you can see in the picture, the fly bars right there. I see. I've it, gone yeah. back and watched like blue thunder. I've watched uh, airwolf. I've watched this. And I mean, you can see the fly bar now. But as a kid or a person watching this, you didn't see. You don't notice that. Yeah. Look at how cool yeah. that helicopter looked. I didn't know the real helicopter didn't have one of those anyway. Right. Yeah, the, a Bell Jet Ranger d does not. There are some, obviously, that do like QEs and things. Um, but I that love one jumps over the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is the model shots on all this stuff are so very brief that. Uh, you know, it's like, it's the real one. It's the pole flyer, which Jackie would always have. He he'd had a jet ranger with a pole up the backside of it. Or I think in this case, it had kind of a fork that went into the skids, electric motor to drive the blade so they could get different different shots that you <clears> couldn't <throat> do with the RC. You couldn't look at the uh, the bottom of a Cavan jet ranger, for example, because the fan and the starting cone are on the bottom. So it would look right. totally unrealistic. So, um any any model stuff in the screen is usually super super brief. Right. Um, the Night Rider thing went well enough that when the studio saw it, they wanted to go ahead and, with Airwolf and they wanted Jack and Pete to do it, and that's how I ended up there doing that. Um, 
And is this a good time to go into that now? Sure. I think that's the dream. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So um, Pete called me up. He contracted for two Bell 222 helicopters. Um, I ordered two GMP Gorham model products competitors, which were Herobo base. Very good. Um, they were winning lots of competitions at the time and very good, stable, great flying helicopter. Uh, two OS 60 or 61s, can't remember which. Um, and then two Bell 222 fuselages from Circus Hobbies. So that stuff comes in. Roy Levy, who I mentioned before, he did all the body work and got the things prepared. Uh, the fuselage is ready for the um, mechanics. Uh, another good friend, Ed Baxter, he built all the mechanics and put them inside. And it, it's very important to me that people know about those two guys because they were experts, they were craftsmen, and they did a phenomenal job in these things. So they did that. I took the helicopters back and uh, set them up. And then we went out to, to fly them, uh, tuned them, adjusted them, and then out they went to the Sessoms Ranch, ranch again, where Jack Sessoms and um, David Humpert and some of the other modelers out there took them and made them into Airwolf. They vacuum formed mm. the prosthesis for the side that covers the side windows. There's a kind of reverse scoop that comes up over the nose. They put that on and they made the prosthetics like the um, the gun pods for the wings. And there was a, uh, a rocket launcher on the stomach. They made all those things and wow. they made them so that it could be taken off or removed as necessary. Because like there, there was no room in the pods for guns to actually retract. Even in the real one, that was impossible. Uh, when you saw a shot in the show of the guns retracting and going into the winglet, um, that was actually a, a, a model that was, oh, was quite a bit bigger than the RC. The, the winglet was probably a foot, a foot and a half long and, and appropriately wide. Uh, and the same for the rocket launcher in the stomach, because you, you, you couldn't do that. There was no place for it to go in either on the model or on the real one. Wow. Oh, wow. So I've actually got, uh, I've got a clear version of this, of the airwolf. And, uh, I've always wondered what to do with it. Cause it's, you know, takes a lot of work, but I just, have I haven't, I haven't had the heart people to get rid contacting of you now. <laughs> I know. Right. I know. <laughs> so it's the most popular still the most popular scale uh, helicopter you can't go anywhere and not hear somebody go that talks scale and like i want an airwolf yeah you know and when i been, was a kid it's been a my, couple of years when i was a kid my favorite thing was hot wheels and i had a small airwolf hot wheel size helicopter and i absolutely loved it and one day it just vanished and i was just devastated and I, I just came to terms that one of my friends probably needed it more than I did, you know, and because it oh. just I, I took such good care of it and uh, I knew where it was at all times. And one day it was gone. And uh, oh. yeah, <laughs> I never forgot about it. It's wow. still I have a hole in my heart for it, you know, because, man, it was that was the show. That so was, did you guys ever interact with the actors? Uh, I did not. Uh, my understanding is that Larry Jolly, who followed me, did. But uh, no, I did not. We were I was 
second unit. Sessoms and Slagle was second unit. So um, we were out at Redlands. Um, the only flying I did not in Redlands was we did, I did two separate demos on the back, back lot at um, Universal uh, flying the helicopter. And uh, I remember one of them, you know, it's up flying around and it's looking pretty good. It was still in primer at that time. And the tail drive wire broke. We didn't have torque tubes. We didn't have belts. We just, it was a piano drive wire. And I think it was two millimeter wire with a robo. Mm -hmm. And it broke. And the uh, helicopter, unfortunately, was over the LA River, which at that time hadn't seen water in decades. So here it goes, pirouetting nice and flat. They were very stable down into the bottom of the thing. And Pete ran down, crawled down into the LA River. I don't know how he got down. Brought it back up. And he said it was still running when it was laying down there. <laughs> and there, there is a photograph of that, which appears on Thomas Higginson's video. Uh, I am absolutely mortified. I'm like staring at the camera and the look is real. And Pete's got one of the rotor blades and it looks like he's going to stab me in the throat. So yeah, he was, it was a joke on his part. He was a super, or he still is a super nice guy, but. Uh, Very cool. That is so, super interesting though. In, so, anyway, I, oh, go ahead. Nope, you go ahead. Okay, I uh, I I did the test flying of the first two werewolves. Um, I did the flying through the uh, fireball, which was exciting. Um, and I did some of the filming for the pilot episode. And about that time, my job just caught up with me. I had a full time, seven day a week job at Oli's Home Center at the time. Um, and Jack and Pete were trying to shoot around me and they were shooting on weekends. I would take vacation, but if something happened and they couldn't get the shot, then I couldn't be available again. So it wasn't working out. So they asked me to find somebody else and, uh, to help out. And I brought in Larry Jolly, who I'd known for years and he took over and flew season one, two, and three. And then they called me back after season three and said, will you come back? And I did. And uh, I brought uh, Rob Hamilton uh, with me. And I, you, you don't see his name enough. This guy was a phenomenal RC pilot. He was national competition. He was placing um, real decent guy and absolute nerves of steel nothing bothered him most of us they turn the camera on we get nervous he was like i don't care i'm just gonna do it um i can't say enough good stuff about him and unfortunately he's not flying helicopters anymore but real good human being so back to that when any of us i mean we hear people talk about well i don't like to go to a fun fly and fly because i'm nervous people watch yeah or a person goes i don't want to fly during a demo because i'm nervous people watch i could not imagine what it'd be like saying, I'm going to turn a camera on. And you have probably at that time had no clue that people 20 or 30 or 50 years later, <laughs> I'm playing with your age, are going to say, we still watch Airwolf. I mean, yeah. that had to have been nervous thinking they're filming this. Yeah, it, it was very nerve wracking. And um, uh, I'm, I'm really glad I did it, but it was really stressful at the time. Um, Jack and Pete were incredibly patient with all three of us. 
and really decent about it. And, you know, time is money on these things because they've got the whole crew out there. They've got the set dressed. Uh, if you crack the helicopter up, if you, if you crack the helicopter up, it's bad. If you crack it up before they get a shot, that's really bad. Um, the only time I think I ever cracked one up out there, I cracked, there were two times. One was at the Cavan uh, during Night Rider. It was really hot. I mean, it was between 90 and 100 degrees. And they had to cut cover some of the windows because you could see the mechanics inside, right? So the thing ran warm anyway, and now it's running really hot. So I fly through some uh, some scene, and then the power just starts to go. And it it I barely got it down. I got it down flat. But um, the lead lag in those days was fixed, and you mm. had to set lead lag manually. And oh, it knocked man. it out slightly. So if you look at the, the shot of the uh, Jet Ranger coming up over the berm, you look at the tail, it's real easy to see the tail wobbling back and forth because the lead lag was out. Wow. So and that's the kind of stuff we don't even have to deal with today. And that's no that that's that's the like people don't I mean I have a little clue because I've been flying for a couple of years. Not I think Gregor's got me by a little bit, and uh he's definitely he I he was a better pilot probably a year in than I I was <clears throat> I am now. But no. uh it uh we didn't have to deal with that and like i said i've gotten to fly some classic helicopters i've gotten to fly robert gorham's gmp and i've had the mechanical gyro be like yeah i'm not gonna hold the tail i'm just gonna spin around on you which made him laugh really good um but uh i've not had to deal with like what you're talking about it's, it's never been like to that detail or have the music wire break i've heard of it and i remember yep. watching one crash that that's what happened yep um but I mean, I wanted to do miniature set building when I was younger. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I built a lot of models. I did that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's going to be awesome. But computers are coming and that kind of went by the wayside. But I always thought it would be awesome. Like, I, I think it was probably Star Wars that got me thinking of that. But yeah, yeah, well, I can see that. How does that how does that affect you watching the movie now? I mean, when you watch the TV show, see, the rest of us could disbelieve and we, like you said, you watch Star Wars, right? We all know there's no one running run around the galaxy. But you can pretend. Unless you're the guy that flew the RC helicopter, you go, that's me flying that thing. Does that affect the storytelling to you at all when you watch the show? No. it's 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 I, I know what it is, but it's like I can set that aside because a story is a good, is a story and a good story even better. So you just kind of, um, there, there's lots of times when you see things. Um what was the movie where they faked a moon landing? Had James Brolin in it? Oh, I can't think of the name of it. But was uh, it the movie I mean, that was poking fun at the U.S. government? No, no. Or? This was a this was a serious thing, and there were three astronauts. One I think was James Brolin. I want to say one was O.J. Simpson, but I can't remember for sure. Uh, but anyway, the moon landing had been faked, and the astronauts. We're trying to escape because they figured, yeah. okay, they're going to kill us, right? Because oh. the uh, we know and people see us. And is that Capricorn Capri one? Capricorn that's one. It, that's yeah. it. That's it. So uh, if you watch, there's a, um, I believe it's a Hughes at the time 500 that crashes into a mountain. And I think that was Ernie Huber that did that. And you can see paddles and servos when it hits. Oh, wow. 
I watched it on the big screen. It's like we're all a bunch of us that were, you know, flyers. We're watching this thing going, oh, I know what that is. But it was still a good story. It didn't didn't mess that up. But nobody else noticed that stuff. It's like my wife being an ICU nurse. So she watches like um, TV shows about doctors and hospitals. And she goes, yeah, a nurse would never be doing an open heart surgery like that. You know, I mean, I can imagine as an RC pilot watching a TV show going, I flew that. And then finding the little things like that that the average movie girl wouldn't see, but you go, yeah, I know how we did that. I know how we faked yeah. that. Or, wow. That's that cool. Man. Yeah. The the uh, uh, the other time I was going to mention where I crashed was kind of interesting because Pete wanted this shot where the airwolf would go through a fireball. And that's fun. Well, Pete was really good at these. Again, if you watch the explosions in some of the, the primetime shows of that era, you see something explode. It was Pete's explosion, right? And he had some mixture. I think it was gasoline and acetone and I don't know what else. And he'd put it in a coffee can in the ground and he'd set it up with a um, a squib in it. And he you know, had wires running to it and he'd light it off from a distance. Well, he wanted to do this with Airwolf, have it go through the firewall fireball and then uh you know triumphantly exit well it and, and this is on thomas's video as well it took a long time for me to get it in the right position i made multiple laps uh trying to do this and uh finally got it lined up it goes into the fireball the fireball is you know in full bloom and the helicopter goes through we were using heat shrink covering on the blades at the time because the oh. blades were wood right Oh, wow. And so you'd fiberglass the center and you cover them with heat shrink. And this was normally not a problem. But when it the heat hit it, I thought the engine would die. Engine was fine. But the heat shrink came off the blades, wrapped around the fly bar, wrapped around the main shaft. And so you hear it go through and then, you, yeah, that's it. You hear the note go down on the engine. And I remember Pete describing it later. He said, you know, it went in, it looked looked fine. When it came out, you knew it was in trouble, and it came down in kind of a skidding landing, and I didn't break it. So wow. I don't know if really is technically a crash. If you watch this thing, they say is it okay, and Pete says oh he saved it. So, but but that was sporty, and I could you can see how far back I'm standing, and I could feel the heat. That's got to wow. be forty foot tall. Jeez. It it was huge. <clears throat> That's awesome. And he did this stuff routinely. Okay, it sounds really like good. a guy I want to party with. All right, oh, yeah. Gregor, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> do we uh do do I say this or I get us in trouble? Do I create a war on accident if I say this? This feels like RCHO stuff. <laughs> it does. Yeah, but this was <laughs> sanctioned and there's not never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. You just you well, baited there, me. That was did, not fair. Did Airwolf ever fly over a burning couch? I'm gonna be on the a, east coast here shortly, and then I'm couch. gonna get beat up. It's gonna be your fault. <laughs> I, I, if it ever flew over a burning like a couch like you sit on yes if it ever did that i was not present when i did it okay all right okay all um because right. you got that gap when i wasn't there right that's true all right, um if, it wasn't if, me if you oh. go forward um when i came back they built a nuclear reactor model which was very big and the deal was that the reactor burns. There's a scientist in it who has to be saved. And um, 
So I make a couple of passes over the reactor and then they had a, a doll in a foil suit that was supposed to be um, the scientist. And so now I have to lift the doll up and fly it over the burning uh, model of the reactor. You can do this exactly once because the reactor is not going to exist. Right. And it, it burned to a crisp. So that was fairly sporty. Um, that was, that model had no fly bar on it and it had uh, no gyro in it. Oh, wow. And no that tail was, gyro? it's been too long to remember. I know there was none on the head. Right. Uh, but I can't remember. And if, when you see me fly through the fireball, there's no tail gyro in that either. There's no gyro in the Cavan Jet Ranger at all. Honestly, some uh, of the no bars out there fly better than some of the fly barless systems. So, well, anybody flew... that's ever flown no bar, it's totally doable. It's just a matter oh, yeah. of the first time you go to take off, uh, you are scared stuffless. And yeah. then after a while, it becomes a show off point. Look at me. I don't have a fly barless system. Well, this was very difficult to fly. I will leave it at that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, it was very difficult to fly. And then the guy hanging back down on a couple of feet of, of string, I think it was. If you watch the video, you'll see he'll move, and then the helicopter will kind of follow, and all the time I'm trying to hold it steady over this burning building. And and again, there's like a few seconds here and there of it, and they cut to the real building, and they cut to, you know, picture the guy. So the model stuff is very, very brief. That's still very cool. Totally know? is. I love that. Now I got to go. I want to go back and watch, like, some Knight Rider and some uh, Airwolf. On Absolutely, Netflix now. You know, I'm going to include right. some of these links in the show notes too, so oh, if you guys want to check it out. Yeah. So, well, why, somebody, I, why the hell are we watching these old shows? Well, babe, I want to see Auckland fly a RC helicopter. <laughs> uh, one thing I should mention is I cannot thank Thomas Higginson enough. He found Pete Slagle. He found a bunch of the modelers. He found Dave Humpert. Um. He interviewed all these people. I mean, it took him years to come up with that. He got the footage, which was basically Jack's home movies. Because the fireball thing doesn't show up anywhere. It didn't make it to the show because the helicopter was in trouble when it came out. So um, uh, he's got some really interesting stuff there. And if he hadn't done that, no one would ever know. I had any involvement in this. No one would ever know that uh, Rob Hamilton did either. Wow. So, I mean, he... he uh, I, I just, I don't know what else to say. I can't thank him enough. Hours and hours, I mean, hundreds of hours. He's doing a um, uh, a huge article on Facebook uh, under the Airwolf guidebook that he's still working on. Wow. And he's got wow. all kinds of detail, more much more detail than is in our conversation here. We'll or have to in make the sure video. to keep a link in here. Yeah. He's a really, truly good human being. That's so awesome. That was like 82, 83, I think we were talking about. So yeah. when did you start flying helicopter? When did you start flying? And then when did you start flying helicopters? I started flying, um, well, I was doing stick and tissue stuff with my dad when I was a kid. And then about 1969, I got into U-Control. I built a um, scientific Red Devil wooden airplane. And then somewhere I saw an ad for a Testers P-38 and um, plastic ready to fly. And I... I just saw your note. Someone was born in 1968. Okay, I'm <laughs> old. Okay, I'm really, really old. Um, so anyway, ultimately, I got the 
the P-38, and I was flying plastic U-control planes. Uh, my high school buddies and I were flying uh, uh, in Kmart parking lots for testers for a while, just demoing the U-control airplanes. Uh, 74, I got my first RC, which was a tester's Skyhawk, which I think was a 44-inch span, vacuum-form plastic fuselage, um, foam wing and, and horizontal tail, and it was a pulse rudder only. So you had one channel, rudder and it didn't have a servo it had a magnetic actuator so the entire time it was flying it was bang 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 back and forth left and right and it worked on the average position of the rudder while it was flapping back and forth uh under uh and i'm trying not to look at your notes because i'm going to start laughing um under power it would climb gently uh when the engine quit it would had a fairly good flat glide um, if you hit full rudder and got it into a spiral and built some speed up when you straighten it out, it would loop. It would barely do it, but it would loop. Uh, and it flew pretty good. Uh, from then I built a Heath kit, single stick. I want to say it was an eight channel, which I've still got somewhere. And then, uh, uh, I was starting to fly old timers and foam airplanes and stuff. And which were in their infancy. They aren't like they are now. You get a foam airplane kit and you still had to build it. You know, just the major components were molded. Um, 76, I got my first RC helicopter, which was a very used, very beat up uh, American RC revolution. Fixed pitch. But they hadn't been out a lot long by that time, right? I mean, we're talking like at, at that point, 76. Is it, was it even, yeah. have they been out for 10 years? Because helicopters were so. fairly. I don't know the exact year, but, you know, Kivan already existed, Schluter already existed, and they had for a few years, but I'm not sure when they when they started. Um, anyway, this so, thing was, well, go ahead. Uh, flying style, um, you were talking about that, and your, your current flying style, I think you said something to me earlier we were chatting. Yeah. What did you call it? Geezer. Geezer style. I don't think yes. so. I still think you're smooth and everything else. And I think that a lot of a lot of really good 3D pilots could take a lot of cues from the people that have been flying for a while because you put the helicopter where you want the helicopter. Um, I like that. Uh, but no, Appreciate so that. flying style, when you started in 76, what was the flying style back then? What, as you were flying, what, as 3D started coming into play and things beyond loops um, or rolls even, like, when you got out of the, I don't know what it's called, uh, the flip switch, where you actually had to have a switch to go inverted because the controller wouldn't do it. Um, I mean, when that flying style started, what what did you what would you say your flying style was then? Well, uh, with the revolution, it was crashing uh, repeatedly. <laughs> um, that was me with the blade CP. Yep. Some somewhere there is a uh, a bundle of ten or fifteen blades in the garage. Each one is a half set of blades. Um, <laughs> the, the Schluter Helleboy, when those came out, that was the first thing that would really get up and go. That was like a P-38 versus a P-40. That would really move and would loop and roll. And when that came out, 3D wasn't even thought of. Um, now, when you did a loop and you did a roll, you guys weren't using negative, negative collected, right? You just went back no. to neutral on the pitch? You, you go back to, to neutral. and A lot a of lot people of could learn from that. So many people don't 
don't grasp the whole going into a roller a loop and going neutral. They want to give negative and you don't have yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, for the, we, we use trailing antennas a lot of the time, which meant you had a meter of wire hanging down. So you really didn't want to go to negative pitch uh, until the whip antennas came out later. This is in the 72 megahertz days wow. uh, to do a roll. You'd get it hauling fast. You wanted to go downwind. So it would stretch the length of the roll. Uh, you'd pop the nose up very slightly and you'd apply full, we usually went right. So we'd go into the receding blade and uh, it would roll. And the loop, it wasn't much of an issue. That's so uh, cool. So, uh, and I remember the Hello Boys, they had the high-speed rotor system, which ran at 1,750 RPM. And that was really high-speed. How big were those blades at the time? I can't quite remember. Was it a 60-size helicopter? So it was a 60 roughly 600-millimeter-ish? I would think it's inches? more like a 550 a today. Okay. Right. It's, so five fifties running seventeen RPM. Yeah. Ish. And and wooden blades, which most people would think would fall out of the sky in today's. Oh yeah, you yeah. can't fly a five hundred at <laughs> less than three thousand five hundred RPM, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. I'm just pointing cool. out how spoiled we all are. Yeah. Thanks to folks no, like yeah. you, you know, thanks really to, flown, have really flown and have gone through. They kept, you know, we talk about the hobby not being the spot where it, it used to be. Um, and it's, it's nice to sit here and see all this different stuff. And it's, I feel lucky to have been able to meet a lot of the West coast folks. Um, I don't you know, know Robert, know this, right? To what? Oh yeah. You know yeah I, like Warham. I said, I've gotten to flow. I've gotten to fly his personal GMP and I was, I felt so honored to do that. I really did. I have so much respect for that man. Yeah, um, the first time I saw him in decades was at one of the NorCal Helifig fun flies. I think probably the one I met you at Steve and he's got a Forza 700 and he lifts off and he execute a, a perfect slow pirouette in front of himself. It stayed exactly in one spot and it, it wasn't calm, right? There was wind and just very slowly pirouetted around. And then everything he did was perfectly smooth. Yep. Wow. He's uh, it super, was, it was he amazing. is so impressive. So yeah. impressive. And I don't think he realizes how impressive he is because he really is. That's awesome. Well, so, so some of the other things we talked about here, Steve, is like um, steam helicopters. What's what is that? Oh, steam. Okay. Um, how do I put this? A few years ago, probably 2019, 2020, on Facebook, um, a gentleman named Minzy Z in China started showing the new Taro helicopter. And this had no canopy. It had a plastic structure that was sort of semi-streamlined, um, looked kind of like something that would kill Tom Cruise or try to in a post-apocalyptic movie. <laughs> and it was really different looking. And, you know, for decades, I've been flying pod and boom helicopters. So this interested me because it looked very different. So I started messaging him back and forth. And he said, we'll let you know as soon as they're available. So he did. And I ordered one. And um, upper frame is monocoque plastic, molded plastic. A lot of people think it's 3D printed, but... When you look at it, it's it's molded. And 
there's channels in it for the wiring. There's slots for your um, tie wraps. If you do it right, you can have all the wiring internal. So the only external wires you'll see are the two for the ESC for the battery and the one for the rudder servo. Uh, very, very stiff uh, fuselage design. And uh, they fly just superbly. Very precise. can put it exactly where you want them. Um, I've seen people smacking them too. So they'll do that. Uh, I started with the 600. I went to the 550. I went to the 700 when it came out. And the 700 was more of a conventional design with the carbon fiber frame. Um, but it still had some plastic on it. It had what they call plastic armor. Uh, and it was sort of compartment. That's it. It was compartmentalized. You tip the nose down to change the battery to get to the battery tray. Uh, you can tip... Uh, or remove various pieces of the plastic armor so you can access things. And yeah, very well thought out, uh, very light in weight, and uh, just very nice, precise flying helicopters. Um, recently, I got the little one, that's a, the AK-400, which is the third or fourth, I think, direct drive helicopter in the 380 to 420 size that's on the market right now. And uh as usual, I wanted to fly something different. I don't want to be the 50th guy at the field with the same helicopter. So got one of these and I've got, oh, probably 10 flights on it now. And it flies just beautifully. Very precise, very smooth, very nicely made. And of course, it's all got all, all of mine have JR equipment in them. So, so uh, looks really uh, cool. Yeah. Now, solid. These are going to be right now. They're not into the U.S. So when I ordered stuff, I've been ordering it from China. Uh, and early on, I had a lot of help from the guy at uh, Alpha RC, Dave, because he was the importer when they were under the Taro name. They've been Steam, I think, for two years now, maybe three. Um, but uh, Tony Whiteside, which some of you may know, and Kevin Tucker, who's the K and KBDD, um, they have a team they're building called Team Hardcore, and they're working very hard with steam to bring helicopter kits and parts into the country i don't have any time frame on this but uh talked to tony earlier today and was allowed to disclose that that he's working on it so i didn't even know he was still flying i ran into him at i don't think it was his last search it might have been the one before i didn't even recognize him yeah, yeah he, he used uh, to wait and everything else yeah he's definitely coming back for sure yeah and and uh <clears throat> Yeah, he he's still phenomenal pilot. So, and he's absolutely driven to come back into it. Um, he's got a lot of the guys together that uh, uh, had been Compass guys back in the day, and uh, who are looking for something new and different to fly and wrap. So again, they won't be that three thousandth guy at the field with the same helicopter. So that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I like it. How are we doing on time? Oh, I wouldn't worry about that. Okay. We're good. You're all, all still right. awake, which oh, surprises yeah. so, me. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I, <laughs> I think I think Gregor started to kind of fall asleep there when I was talking, but most No, people, not at all. No. He's not probably at all. just eating. I was listening and enjoying. <laughs> so you mentioned JR a second yeah. ago. Yeah. So um that's one of those systems where they're really popular outside RC, but they're getting more and more popular inside RC helicopters, right? Well, they were 
extremely popular. Let's let's go back further. Uh, I flew first, for a couple of years. First JR radio I ever saw. I was working for John Gorham at GMP in the summer of 1980, packing cricket kits and and running errands and whatnot. And uh, the guy that ran Circus Hobbies, and forgive me, his name eludes me. I'm sorry. He's a very famous guy. He owned Circus Circus. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, since passed away, he brought John Gorham a gift, which was two JR radios, the top of the line one and the next one down. And I looked at these things and I drooled. Um, I had been flying the Hobby Shack Cirrus radios, you know, just not helicopter radios at all. Was that Rick um, Stevens? No, mm. I recognize the name if I heard it, but like I said, he actually owned, I think the RC flying field is named after him in Vegas, but I'm not sure. Right? This is part of being old that I can't remember a famous person that had a reputation well, for being very nice. I can't remember his name. So William Bennett and that's it. Yeah. And Pennington. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was <laughs> Bill Bennett himself coming into Gorham's and, you know, I'm I'm this dumb kid, and I'm just looking at these radios and going, "Oh my God, I've never seen anything like it." Uh, I had flown, oh my Heath kit. I had flown uh, the Cirrus radios. I had flown World Engines. I had flown Craft. Uh, I had a uh, Cox Sanwa. Actually, it wasn't a Cox Sanwa. It was a Sanwa Black Custom radio. Um, so I'd flown a lot of different radios, but this just blew my socks off. Um, and I got my first two within a couple of years of that and which were, uh, century sevens. And then when we came to select the radios for airwolf, those had JR century sevens in them. Cause I, you know, oh, wow. on the set, they never glitched or burped. I mean, what's the worst case scenario you could have when you're trying to shoot something like that and you're under pressure is to have a glitchy radio. These things were solid as a rock. No, were those single sticks or were they? No, they were dual stick. Oh, okay. Um, and oh, hang on a second. So I remember craft radios in '83, '84 when I was in high school. We got into RC airplanes and I was flying a craft radio. I don't know for what reason it doesn't really want to show up, but that is. Oh, a, look at that! That's one of yeah. them, and that oh. that one's that old. I was teaching my son to fly um, in the probably mid two thousands, and I put batteries in this thing, and it still worked. I'll be damn. So oh, that's cool. Uh, and everything's, you know, analog. There are reversing switches, physical switches. Uh, there are potentiometers that you turn the little doors in the front of the transmitter. You take them off and you adjust these things and put it back. But that's, uh, that's neat. So anyway, um, I've been flying JR since I think the other day <laughs> I posted something where I said 40 years, but I think it's 41. Um, I've been flying them that long. I always wanted to fly for them and of course now have achieved that dream, which is, you know, I've been very lucky in that regard. They treat me way better than I deserve. They have been just wonderful to me. Wow. So that's so I'm excited to see where they, where they go with the radio. I, I had the opportunity to uh, fondle Nick's radio when he was at, at Ken's place and, uh, Man, the gimbals are just, you know, and that's that's yeah. what I used to love about JR, you know, back in the day. Well, yeah. my my back in the day. And uh, I think uh, I had the uh, 9303, I had the 9503, I had the JR12X, and just the gimbals were were phenomenal back then. And, and uh, yeah, that radio just incredible. And to see the, 
the app based stuff too that they're yeah they're enrolling you know so i i wanted i uh, forgive me i wanted to go up there uh, to see nick fly and Uh and see things and unfortunately my back was out at the time oh no uh june from jr said you know come on come with us we got room for you and i was gonna go and uh, my stupid back wouldn't let me so don't get old it's really yeah (laughs) yeah i like the alternative so jr's got a range of radios right yeah so like there's yeah. a probably a low end one to get you into the market and then what do we think the there was a three hundred dollar and... range one yeah there was a um uh, was perusing the website and uh, there was a six channel I didn't actually see that on there the lowest was an eight for about three forty nine or no three seventy nine I think and you know Jr is not going to they're not going to compete at least my belief is they're not looking to compete in the low end market. They want precision. They want the best stuff. And it's for the modeler that wants the best that you can buy. Um, I've flown the T-44. I've got one of those. I've got the T-14, which is the 14 channel. Uh, I had the 28X. I still got that. Um, And I've got the Elite, which I just love. And, you know, I don't understand the... Oh, there it is, 389. Uh, so it's off by 10 bucks. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not sure what they have done, but the Elite and the Matrix are way quicker than the 28 or the T24 in terms of response. And Steve, you and I were talking about what you can feel. And I'm a thousand friggin' years old and I can feel it. Um, our airplane guys, uh, especially when they combined the synchronized servos with the matrix or delete they're toning things down super precise super fast servo refresh rates that are uh 2k um and it, it, the the guy that owns uh uh jr now tomihisa kanishi he's been making his factory has been making the jr radios for years now and he is extremely intelligent and driven and he's out to make the best product that he possibly can. And he's also into innovation, which is good, which we need. Yeah, for sure. Moving so I'll be with, is... They look awesome. I mean, just look at the screen here. You know, it reminds me of like Transformers. And yeah. um, I, like the T8X, T8-4 green, mm-hmm. that reminds me of like, you know, Bumblebee. Uh, the one just below yeah. it feels like a Cylon. I mean, these things look space yeah. age. Yeah, they're very comfortable in your hands too. There's a there's a uh, a design intent for ergonomics. Um, it was real weird after flying these for years now. Um, I have a World Engines um, uh, Blue Max radio, which I got just for nostalgia purposes. But it's from the mid '70s, and I I flew these back in the day and uh, remember them fondly. And I'm holding this square box, and it's like. Oh my God, how did I ever do this? And no neck strap <laughs> thing, which now I'm uh, in my old age, I'm dependent on having a neck strap. So, yeah, we've had that discussion before. Uh, do yeah. you strap on or strap off? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it used to drive me crazy when I was first using it. I felt it was very restrictive. And now it's like I can't fly without it. So I, I think it depends on what you get used to. And of course, you get burned in to doing something I'm as you get way. older. So, yeah, even with a light controller. I, I pinch. So when I pinch, 
my uh, middle finger lives on the top of the radio in the center. So mm-hmm. any radio that's got two top switches that are too narrow for my finger fit, yep. those radios drive me nuts. Yep. And there's a, you know, it's just how you hold the radio, how the size of your hands. Um, I do a lot of shooting. And to me, when I pick a firearm, I'm picking a firearm because how does it feel in my hand? I'm the same way yep. with the radio. When I pick a radio up, if it's not a radio that's comfortable in my hand, my fingers fit in the right spot. If I'm leaning up against switches, it drives me nuts. And now it's a hard time for me to fly the helicopter because I'm sitting there worried about my fingers not inadvertently going yeah. to hold or, you know. It, it feels unnatural, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. That Matrix 22 yeah. just looks stunning to me. <laughs> yeah. It's, I it, would totally dig the white one. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really uh, like that. So, I think I've, the, I've the, had our, uh, no, Nick's using the Elite, right? The uh, Elite. I think Nick is using the Matrix. I think he's got one oh, of each he? to be truthful. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. um, I've had, I, I started flying the Elite before it was released and was giving feedback and stuff. And I think I've had four different ones pass through my hands. And the latest one is the white one and I'm keeping this one. So <laughs> I love this. Now, can you copy the profiles from, from radio to radio or how does that work for a JR? You have to do it within the radio. Like, if I want to send you a file for an elite, that'll work. If I if you have a matrix and I have an elite, that will work. Um, Can you copy them to an SD card then and copy them yeah. over like you used to be able yeah. to? Um, I send. I work with customers, and and uh, if somebody has a particular problem, they don't know how to program something. Um, if I can figure it out, I have them send me their model. And uh, I think in all cases so far, I've been able to figure it out. So they send me the model and I work on it on my radio and then send it back to them. Nice. And so, yeah, it works really good. And then June and I are always sharing models because we both fly Forza 450s. We both fly Forza 700s. And, um, you know, we can just, I could just send him something or he can send me this or he can go, here's different software, try this. And and so it's, it's cool that way. I actually oh. still have four JR helicopters. You're a wise man. I was going to mention that earlier. So do these, does JR have a fly bar list yet? Or is this primarily a radio with a receiver that you would then put a fly bar list on? Uh, I'm going to answer we... that one. I'm going to, I'm going to cut him off because they've had a fly bar list yeah. called tags. So mm-hmm. it was out years ago. They don't sell it currently. I don't believe I actually, I sent Richard probably two or three of the tags, tag, which units. I appreciate. I appreciate um, they fly great, but they're not the same setup. You're very much having to go through and set them up. I think it was via PC in the first place. So tuning could be kind of problematic. Um, but yeah, as far as like fly barless systems that they have currently, but they did have one. They actually were making no. a really good stride uh, on their fly barless. It's, it flew fine. Yeah. It was very much uh, like F3C style. It wasn't, I don't think it was meant for smack. It was very much meant for precision flying. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, you can 3D it. I have 3D'd it, but again, I'm my 3D is old, old guy 3D, but I think it 3D is pretty good myself for me. Um, as far as integration goes, or as far as setup goes with the Tag Mini, um, if you just take it generically, the way it is, you have to have the computer to set everything up, and you still need that to tune your PIDs and stuff. But uh, you can adjust the gains on the gyros from your transmitter. You can adjust them in flight on your transmitter, on your JR. You have to use a JR transmitter to do this. 
uh, and you have to have enough channels to do it. But you know, we have like you know partial integration. We can't do a full setup in the transmitter at this point, like you can with a with a, a V control or something. But uh, I have uh, oftentimes been at the field and thought, oh, it's shuddering a little bit today. I'm going to back down the aileron gain, and I can do it while I'm flying. And it, I can do it uh, in each flight mode, like bank switching. Right. So I can have hmm. separate aileron, elevator, rudder gain on each one um, with absolutely no problem. I can set overall rate of flip and roll in the transmitter with no problem. Uh, but again, I can't get to the PIDs. So when you start working with that stuff, then you need the computer. Fortunately, the presets, um, and they've added several uh, uh, for the tags. They added, I think, a 600 when the 600N came out. Uh, uh, so we've got 450, uh, 600, and 700, and there might be another one in there. Uh, fortunately, the PIDs on those are pretty good, so you really don't have to mess with them. I went crazy for a few months took the computer to the field all the time and okay, this does this, this does that and worked with it when it was, it was pretty interesting. I only bring that up, uh, giving you trouble, Greg, because if you asked this question 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and you were like, it would have been JR and then Futaba, I think. And I think those would have been the oh, yeah. top radios. Yeah. Um, Spectrum yeah. was definitely coming up at that time, but, uh, JR was just you, 95. Is it Oh three. Or 9503 is what everyone was using. Every down the line, that was the radio everybody had. Yeah. Of course, we all had fly bars too. Um, And everybody was either using a Futaba gyro or a uh, JR had some good ones. And then the the other craze was, you know, when Spectrum came out, they had a module, you know, so everyone could could take their 9303 and upgrade it to DSM, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And see, when I was flying airplanes in 83, 84, when I was still in high school, um, Kraft was the big radio. Yeah. Airtronics came out. And when Airtronics came out, you had that um, front door you'd flip open with all those little reversing switches instead of having the old dot on two or three of your servos. And the dot was the one that went the other direction. Yeah. So I remember Airtronics was the new thing. And then JR was shortly thereafter. I remember looking at those radios thinking, oh, that's the new stuff. Not as good as Kraft. You know what? <laughs> so, yeah, funny how Kraft, the world switches. Yeah, craft really disappeared, and um, they really would were for the time excellent radios. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably for you know when I started in the mid seventies, they were probably the best out there, and continued to be for several years after that. Mm-hmm. So I, I always felt kind of bad that they went away, but. They did. Uh, Proline was another one that was really good. I always wanted a Proline early on. They were the first ones with open gimbal sticks. Wow. And uh, uh, I would drool at those, but I, no way I could afford them. I remember the transmitter boxes looked like some kid in a machine shop broke the metal with his uh, machine, yeah. you know, bent everything around the corner, had little tabs bent. I mean, I thought it, looked like yeah. it, was, it was built like in your, your uh, high school shop class. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. So, so that tags units kind of the it's like their only system they have right now, correct? Well, yeah, it's the only one they the, had. I don't think it's. I don't think it's still. I, I would have to check. I don't think it's still being produced right now. Really? Um, okay. But uh, there, there were there were two, by the way, that I that I know of. There was the tags, mm-hmm. and there was the tags mini. The tags mini was the newer one. Oh, okay. And the tags. I have not flown the tags, uh, but the tags mini. I probably got nine of them. 
including the ones from Greg. And I've got a bunch of them in helicopters. They're in uh, uh, two of my steam helicopters. They're in, I've got a Compass Atom. Uh, I've got a, a MD-6 from Ming Da. And I've, I've got a bunch of them. They fly really well. The tail holds really well on them. The, mm-hmm. you've got doing i like doing backwards outside loops and the tail just holds they're still wow. listed on their website yeah. yeah i'm just looking at them now Tags many. so do, do you know if they have and you may or may not be able to say but do you know if they have any plans in going down that road or which we didn't in a new fly barbers unit yeah correct well the the nick maxwell is working on something you, right, there's a really right, good pilot yeah. working on one of those systems now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. no, I know. I just, yeah. I, I, I believe. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was that was his, his, his thing, or if it was the, uh, you know, if that was for Jr. I can't remember. Well, I, he he's, told me, but <laughs> yeah, he's he's flying for us now, and I don't have any inside information on that. Any information would have to come direct from him. Yeah, and um, I'm just really looking forward to that because I think something that he creates combined with the precision of a, a a matrix or an elite would be fantastic oh yeah somebody so, with his 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 skill set you know would, yeah i'm sure is going to be able to produce <clears throat> something phenomenal you know he's and the fact that you know jr i know one of the reasons and he was open about it you know his move to jr was their willingness to to innovate innovate and yeah. work with him you know and move forward i think that that's just phenomenal and you know that they're not too proud to you know to say no we're not going to do this i think this is it's exciting to me it's exciting well tomahisa konishi who owns jarian he's really innovative he's really aggressive uh we've made big inroads into the 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 very large aerobatic airplanes and a lot of the jet flyers are now flying jr so um if i was a betting man i would think you're gonna see you know helicopter stuff moving forward but i don't have any actual knowledge right that's oh my exciting God. we're we're uh time-wise i think we're in trouble here oh no bro good they like said we're the uh podcast with a short attention span we haven't lost anybody yet <laughs> i don't think no way i'm exciting this is this is uh I love this show right now. <laughs> oh yeah, a lot, I of, love lot of lot of good information and you know. Yeah, I don't think like Jr. We constantly talk about VBAR and everything else, and uh, I'm the only one on the group here, even though I own one that's a hater. So uh, VBAR, VBAR, Goblin, VBAR. Um, I like like trying other stuff. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, I think I'm. <clears throat> Oh, I want to say I'm at like 72, 75 helicopters now and about 35 oh of them are fly barless and I'm nowhere near Ken Marshall. <laughs> I was Mar- just going to say, Ken you know, Marshall is, I'm comment. in awe. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've never flown a fly barred helicopter yet. Steve keeps promising to bring one. He yeah. does, but you know, he had to go and break his ankle. I know. right? I didn't yeah. know that. I yeah, I know that. I'm sorry to hear that. He is a good man. He, is a he had nothing man. else. He had nothing else going on, so he thought, "Well, let's keep it interesting. I'm going to break like my ankle." Close to mostly. Hey, built. there it is. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> is that Bill the one I rebuilt? Yeah. <laughs> if you if you do a that. 
if you do yes. a flybarred helicopter, you best have KBDD paddles on it. And I've still got a few, so tell me what size you need. <laughs> Heck yeah. Okay. Actually, I have. I think I have the right size, but I think they were in oh, the good. box. Oh, very good. So, yeah, those were like when we sat there and talked about 9303s, KBDD mm -hmm. paddles, that was the only way to go. Yeah. So yeah. everybody KBD ran KBDD paddles. Oh, yeah. yeah. So KBDD blades, are they? That's where I learned how to auto one. Yeah. Steve Otto O'Connor. Yeah, I won my first uh, contest. Excellent. I used to love the green KBDD fly bar paddles and the tail mm -hmm. blades on my yeah. my Raptor Nitro. Just it was a must. In fact, uh, I still have the Raptor Nitro with with the green setup on it. Outstanding. If those were the lime greens, yes. and they had the cuts on the edge of the paddles, those were the Tony Whiteside Extreme Edition. Oh wow! I think the, these the were these were before. These were before before okay, that. I just the yeah. normal tapered paddle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the hole in the front and the hole in the back. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, how has KBD been building blades and paddles? It sounds like for well longer than Gregor's been around. Probably. Well, I would say the youngster he is. I'm trying to think how <laughs> far back, but before 2010, I think before before I was affiliated with them, okay. uh, back when Lauren Dick had had uh, KBDD. Um, there's still we still have the plastic tail blades. Uh, we stopped the dampers. Uh, we still have the carbon fiber main blades. Yeah, those orange blades are the absolute best night blades. Period. Thank you. Absolutely, are, I agree. Those things are awesome at night. <laughs> you 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 can't imagine how many people I've had tell me that that very thing that I can really see those at night. Those really show up. That kind of thing. So yeah. Uh, and they're they're good blades. They're a, a good combination of agility and stability, and then the fact that you can see them under any circumstance is really nice too. So, and I made the comment earlier. Um, they're the blades I started learning how to auto on, and they're the blade that I did my first very looping auto rotation because they recover energy so phenomenally well. Yeah. All you got to do is get them in, get them flat and in the wind at all. And I'd swear they spool up faster than a helicopter does on startup. Yeah. They're a great energy recovery blade. You know? Excellent. I'm very glad to hear it. I still have them on every helicopter that they will fit on. There are a few machines like the the uh, AK-400. We don't have any in that size. So I've got the stock blades on that. But I still I fly them on 450s. I fly them on 700s and, and you know, never had a top. Any talk about getting that size out? It's super popular size. And I know the route was big because uh, I used to run KBDDs on, like I got a Protos 500. Mm -hmm. So it runs uh, for 20 blades, but the route mm -hmm. is like 10 or 12. It's a huge route on those yeah. things. And uh, whereas the 420s and 380s of today, they all run a smaller route. Is there any talk yeah. about doing that? Uh, I haven't talked to Justin, the owner, recently about it. Uh, we did talk in the past. The thing is, you have to look at economics of the thing. And you have to figure out, in order to justify a mold being created, right? how many can I sell within a given time period? And if the calculation is such that it's going to take a very long time to pay back, you don't do it. So I don't know what his current thoughts are on it. Uh, and I'll, I'll ask him, but I don't have any idea right now. 
I was thinking of because of the AK, because of wanting to put our blades on it. So, yeah, there's a lot of the, there's like a resurgence right now of these 400s, you know, the RS4, the Raw 420, the um, M4s. I mean, there's a lot of people coming out with that 400 to 420 millimeter size helicopter right now. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's a smart move because, I mean, that was, that's such a great size for people to get into, you know, and yeah. be able to, you know, with the you've got the, the cost, the performance, stability, you know, and I mean, micro helicopters are great and everything, but they have that really wild flight characteristic, you know, compared to a 450. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's great seeing all these come in. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm so, still a 450 fan. Yeah. Uh, Richard, before we, in the night we have to ask the question where are you going to be at next i mean where are you, what fun flies do you hit where could people run into you at different fun flies are you going to urcha are you a west coast fun flight guy i mean where could people find you and then to be honest how do you reach out to you because you've got some fascinating history here um i didn't quite hear the last question how do i something but about, about the well history. how do people reach out and find hold get hold of you because you've got oh, a fascinating history facebook is probably the easiest Okay. Basically, what fun flies do you hit? Um, I normally would hit the Southern California ones. Um, uh, sadly, the San Diego one did not happen this year because uh, they're, um, I don't know if it's happened yet, but they were going to lose the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would hit that one. And uh, there were some out at Apollo. I would hit that. And then once in a while, I go down to Buzz in the Border. And you hit the but Southwest Heli Rodeo, right? I have never hit that one. <laughs> I would like to. Uh, oh. I've heard great things about that one. Uh, I've never made it to Urcha. The one year I was going to go to Urcha, uh, my compass sponsor, um, Experience RC, he bought me an airline ticket. It's going to put me up, send me back. I got in a car accident about four days before. Oh, no. So, no. And I'd shipped my helicopters out. <laughs> and then I had trouble with uh, UPS, I guess it was, UPS or FedEx, getting them back. Because I wasn't there to sign for them. And it's like, no, only Richard Keppel can sign to send them back. And it's like, well, I'm stuck here and I can't move. So finally got those back with minimal damage from shipping. Well, at the Southwest Hell Rodeo, we will save a spot for you. I appreciate that. (laughs) You're probably the the spot for the old guy, you know, the decrepit area. So I think we're old. The only place that's not old is Donnie and he flies in the middle. Donnie and Ben. Yeah. The rest of us Donnie, are old. Donnie and Ben. Yeah, the rest of us are old. Uh, you guys are <laughs> you guys are kids. We're husbands. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've really enjoyed having you on the show tonight. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I mean, it's just we could probably do this for a couple more hours. Well, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity and uh very much appreciate you guys and what you do for the hobby. And uh thank you. Yeah, thank you, Richard. It's thank you. It's been an honor for sure having you with us. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like it's about time to auto on out of here. And uh, I guess we will see everybody next month. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks again, everyone. Take care, guys. (laughs) 